Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications at Israel Policy Forum, and I'm joined by our Policy Director, Michael Koplow. Hey, Evan. So, Michael, in your column today, you wrote a little about a situation that's unfolding uh, in Israel and the Palestinian Authority over the last week, which is that the Palestinians uh, have refused to accept the transfer of tax revenues from Israel. Um, in light of a broader controversy um, surrounding how Israel passes on uh, taxes to the Palestinians. Can you just break down how we got here, why the Palestinians wouldn't want to accept uh, government revenues, um, and what kind of what happens next? Sure thing. So basically the, um, the genesis of this is the it starts with the the Palestinian practice of paying the families of um, dead terrorists and paying prisoners who are in Palestinian prisoners in Israeli prisons who have been convicted of terrorism. Um, the Palestinian Authority practice of paying stipends to these uh, to these prisoners and to the families of terrorists, and the stipends escalate depending on how bad a crime was committed and how many how many people were killed. So the more Israelis that you uh, kill and wound, the more money you get. It's a pretty terrible practice. It's one that the U.S. tried to address through the Taylor Force Act, and it's one that the uh, Israeli Knesset addressed earlier this year in January when they passed a bill that would offset the tax revenues that the Israeli government collects on the Palestinian Authority's behalf and passes on to the PA, it would offset those revenues by the amount of money that the PA pays to this martyrs fund, um, or what people colloquially call pay for slay. And uh, under Oslo, the, the Israeli government is responsible for collecting taxes on the PA's behalf. That's that's why it has this big pot of money. And so the Knesset passed this legislation it kicked in in February, and so starting in February, the Israeli government began withholding about $138 million a month from the Palestinians uh, because that was the amount that the Israeli government determined was equivalent to what the PA was paying into this martyrs fund. And um, when you have a, a PA whose uh, who's monthly, who's monthly revenue um, is really uh, heavily dependent on these on these tax payments, um, that's a that's a pretty big blow. And so, just to you know, put the numbers in context, the PA monthly budget, and they were overspending they were overspending their revenues a bit, um, so they were running a budget deficit. But their monthly budget in January was four hundred and forty six million dollars, and so you know you withhold one hundred and thirty eight million dollars from a budget that stands at four hundred forty six. That's obviously a, a big chunk. Um, and so the PA slashed its monthly budget um, by more than $138 million a month because it's not just the effect of that. It's also the effect of, uh, of other, uh, other economic sanctions, including the Trump administration's decision to end all aid to the West Bank and Gaza, which uh, negatively impacts the PA economy. But for a whole variety of reasons, the PA had to seriously slash the budget on top of this Knesset legislation. And so it went from $446 million uh, in January to uh, $189 million in February and March. 
that that's especially problematic considering uh, what a big chunk of the Palestinian economy depends on the public sector. How many people in the West Bank are employed by the government there? Correct. So um, I don't know. Maybe you know off the top of your head. I don't know off the top of my head what the actual percentage is um, of the PA budget uh, that's devoted to salaries. Um, but there are 160,000 officials on the payroll. So it's a big amount. Um, and as a result, the PA uh, cut salaries in half for all 160,000 PA officials, which includes members of the PA security forces. So, you know, you have this big budgetary crisis um, that is uh, that's largely as a result of this Knesset legislation. And um, the Israeli the Israeli government uh, what they had said to the PA was, we're going to withhold this $138 million a month, but we're going to transfer the rest of the tax revenues to you. And the PA said to the Israeli government, we're only going to take all or nothing. Either you transfer the full amount without withholding anything, or you transfer nothing. And um, Israel attempted to transfer $182 million to PA bank accounts uh, in March. And they actually literally deposited it, uh, you know, direct deposit um, in PA bank accounts. And the PA returned it and said, sorry, it's all or nothing. And so now we have this situation that's been going on. It's only for only for two months. So uh, it's unclear yet how it's going to be resolved and, and how it may unfold in the future. But uh, you have the PA refusing to take any money at all from Israel. None of these tax revenues that Israel collects on its behalf. Uh, it's under an enormous budgetary strain. Um, there's really no good sense of how long this can go on. Uh, not only just as a budgetary matter, but really how long uh, the PA can even just stay in power once it has slashed salaries in half to all these people who work for it. Um, and the PA so far has not blinked and Israel has not blinked. And, uh, you know, how this gets resolved is, is anybody's guess. But I think it's instructive that Prime Minister Netanyahu and Finance Minister Moshe Kahlon had been meeting about this recognizing that it is a huge problem and that if the PA collapses, Israel is going to have a serious mess on its hands that it's going to own. So I think this situation represents a little bit of a, a misreading of the PA on Israel's behalf. Um, I think there's this uh, perception that the PA is so corrupt, and they are very, there. there is a, a lot of corruption, but that they're so corrupt that they, they would just take the money for the sake of staying in power um, without regard for the political or symbolic consequences of their practices, and, and I, I think that uh, their their decision to send the money back that you uh, that you mentioned, as well as their rejection of a European proposal uh, to reformulate uh, the martyrs' payments and take the money, um, demonstrates that that there are certain lines that they won't cross uh, on, on issues of principle. Whether whether or not you you think their principles. Are, are noble or they're they're messed up because they're they're related to these uh, martyrs payments uh, nevertheless they, they do have it seems like they, they do have kind of a point that they that they're not willing to cross um, there, you could also read it more cynically that this is their way of staying in power that that uh, because they're they're so unpopular already and that they are viewed as kind of subcontractors for Israel um, they need to do certain things to toe the line. Um, and not be seen as totally bowing to Israel, but either way, the the result to me, uh, from what you've said and from what you know, from what we can read from the situation, seems to be the same, which is that they're going to have trouble paying their employees who make up uh, a a significant chunk of the West Bank Palestinian workforce. 
Right. And I don't want anyone to get the mistaken impression that um, the, the martyr payments aren't a problem or that they shouldn't be addressed. They're a huge problem. And, you know, you're, you're correct when you talk about the PA standing on principle. And, you know, we can we can get to how much of it is standing on principle and how much of it is, is politics. But, you know, you're correct when you talk about the PA standing on principle, you know, irrespective of whether this is a good principle or a bad principle. From my perspective, it's an odious principle, right? They're, they're literally paying people with escalating payments based on how many Jews they kill. Um, so, you know, to my mind, this is, this is an unacceptable principle to be standing on. But, you know, I think that the issue here is that, as you point out, the Israeli government has consistently made a calculation that the PA is going to do anything necessary to stay in power and that at the end of the day, it can basically be bought off because it is a corrupt uh, authoritarian entity that really just wants to stay in power. Now, I think that that is an accurate description of the PA, but you know, its behavior in this case is not conforming to the prediction. And, you know, what that means is that if you're Israel, you have to you have to make make a calculation, right? The calculation before was, um, you know, we we, the Israeli government can withhold the tax revenues as a way of punishing the PA for what's a truly disgusting practice. And at the end of the day, it won't really put the PA at risk. Um, But the calculus now is a little bit different. And the question is, does the Israeli government want to hold hold to the to their own principle of uh, punishing the PA for the martyr payments. And again, I understand entirely if that's what it decides to do, but does it want to do that in the face of a potential PA collapse and everything that will mean, whether it means a Hamas take, take over of the West Bank or whether it means Israel having to take responsibility for all of it itself or whether it means even you know a, a popular uprising given the fact that the PA security forces have kind of been the the damper on on another intifada now for for a decade. So, you know, policy policy isn't easy, right? There's a reason there's a reason that these are difficult decisions, but you know, in this case I think that the original decision was made by the Knesset with one assumption and I'm I'm not sure that that assumption that the PA will just continue to to take whatever Israel offers it. Um, I'm not sure that assumption holds anymore. Right. And and I think this also is sort of the end of the line for, for this practice of withholding the tax revenues, because it's not a it's not an Israeli practice that's restricted to the Martyrs Fund, um, which you know, I would echo your sentiment, uh, reiterating that the, the Martyrs Fund is a really uh, horrible thing. But it's not the only uh, object that Israel seeks to punish uh, with the tax revenues, they've also withheld tax revenues for uh, the Palestinians attempting to join the UN or to join the ICC, which, um, you know, you may view as problematic or not problematic for one reason or another, but they're not, I, I don't think they, they carry the same uh, uh, gross offensiveness as, as uh, the Martyrs Fund practice. And, um, you know, Israel has an obligation under the, the Paris Protocol, like you mentioned, is one of these agreements that came out of the Oslo process to pass on these revenues. And, uh, you know, I don't think that, that this is necessarily the appropriate outlet to litigate uh, these political disputes with the Palestinians over statehood recognition, membership in inter- international institutions, and even uh, with the Martyrs Fund, even even if the, the motivation is understandable. So, you know, now now we're in the situation where we're going to have to see, where, do, do the Palestinians come around in the end? 
does Israel take it's kind of a question of who steps back from the brink um and, and we've seen situations like this before where the, the Israelis withheld uh tax revenues over the Palestinians I think it was try, uh, for trying to join the International Criminal Court in 2015 and the PA didn't pay the salaries for like a, for like a month um to the to their employees and so I, I think it's just a question of how long this can go on um, but the difference now is that you have this on top of all the other factors that you mentioned, Michael, uh, the, the Trump administration aid cuts um, and just a generally uh, deteriorated situation. And things have not gotten better in the last four years. Right. And you know, as you point out, the Israeli government, according to the Paris Protocol, uh, has to transfer these tax revenues. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to. We're not going to get bogged down here in international law, but um, you know, if if you accept that this sort of thing should be outside the Paris Protocol, you know, what I would like to see is donor countries to the PA, um, you know, which at the moment are basically the Europeans, um, because the U.S. has taken itself out of the game. Um, donor countries to the PA should absolutely use the Martyrs Fund as as something to be negotiated over if the PA wants to continue to get foreign assistance from European countries. And you know, I'll also add that one of the one of the reasons that I have that I, I mean, there are lots of reasons why I think the Trump administration approach to aid uh, to the West Bank and Gaza is is just very poorly thought out and executed. But one of them is that this was one of our last tools of leverage that we had over the Palestinians and uh, we removed it for nothing. Right. We didn't get anything in return. We, we, you know, whereas if the Trump administration was was dead set on removing aid to the Palestinians, at least I would have liked it to have at the beginning said, um, all right, you know, reform the martyr payments to 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 something different or we'll take away aid. And the Palestinians had said no, which they very well likely may have done. So fine, you cut off aid. But, you know, at this point, we basically we, we've cut off aid with, with nothing in return. We didn't even we didn't even try to use it as leverage against the Palestinians. And, you know, this maybe would have been would have been something that would have been useful, um, particularly in, in light of everything else over the last two years. Um, but, you know, instead, we lost that leverage. And so we, we don't have it anymore. But I would like to see the Europeans use it, um, frankly, as much as they can. And, you know, with the Israelis, it's not it's not only this issue of what their responsibilities are under or, or are not under the Paris Protocol. Um, it's also an issue of the fact that if the PA collapses, Israel is the party that is going to have to deal with the fallout. And um, as I said before, I don't think that it—I I don't think that it, it took that eventuality very seriously when it decided to pass and implement this legislation. Right. And I, I think that all circles back to how Israel uh, understood the situation, how they read the Palestinian Authority's motivations. And you, know, you bring up the Europeans. I would also say that, in a way. Uh, they may misunderstand where the, the Palestinians stand on this issue um, because you look at the uh, proposed European solution uh, to this problem, which was to uh, kind of reformat the idea of payments to Palestinian prisoners around the, the different prisoners' uh, respective socioeconomic status. And the Palestinian response was that this is not the point of the, the, uh, the martyrs' payments. Um, Again, sidestepping the 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 huge uh, moral issues with the with those payments, um, 
they they are correct in one thing, which is that that's not the point from the Palestinian perspective. Um, it's it's not just to uh, shore up people's finances because uh, they have a sibling or parent or, or spouse who is in an Israeli prison. Um, it, it certainly is for a symbolic political uh, value for the Palestinians um, in the aftermath of, of attacks against Israelis. Um, so, you know, I, I, I wonder what the Europeans can do. I, I mean, like you said, they're sort of the, the last people standing on this. Um, they have the biggest stake with the Palestinians as far as aid goes. Um, but if they, um, you know, if, if they, they're also not looking at, uh, the, this, the, uh, sorry, if they're not, if they're not seeing eye to eye with the Palestinians or if they're not looking at this the same way, uh, the Palestinians may, or the Palestinian Authority specifically may just, uh, walk into collapse because this is their, this is their one red line, or this is the issue that they're willing to go down on. And, uh, like you said, the, the, the people, uh, who are going to bear the consequences of that beyond, uh, certainly the Palestinians in the West Bank are also the Israelis. Right. And, you know, I think it's, um, it's difficult if you haven't spent much time with Palestinians to understand just what a big deal this issue of prisoners and martyrs is within Palestinian society and, you know, within Palestinian politics. Uh, you know, it's the sort of thing where from the outside, we may say, well, this is ridiculous. Why? Well, leaving aside the fact that it's morally reprehensible from a tactical perspective, you know, from the outside, it's easy to look at it and say, this is ridiculous. Why would Mahmoud Abbas and the PA literally risk their own collapse over this issue of payments to, to prisoners and, and to families of terrorists? But, you know, the, the Palestinian leader who is seen as selling out the prisoners um is not going to is not going to last is not going to last the night um you know it's kind of the easiest way to probably get a bullet in your head um and you know over over the last few years you know anytime anytime i've met with pa officials you know and this issue always gets raised um because it's such a it's such a big issue you know both for israelis but also for americans uh, every time this issue gets raised you right away get get a diatribe back about uh, the importance of, of the, the prisoners and the martyrs. Um, and uh, just a few weeks ago, I was in the West Bank and I met with the head of the Palestinian Prisoners Club and uh, same thing, you know, just making making the point about, you know, he made the point about how can you leave families in the lurch and uh, that if you don't make these payments, then, you know, Hamas is going to come in and, and make the payments and make people even more extremist. And I think that that's probably right, but it's also not the real reason that, it, that it's going on. It's going on because... Martyrs and and prisoners are really seen as kind of this untouchable caste within Palestinian society, and um, and I don't know, and yeah, I don't know that the Europeans actually have you know leverage or that anybody has any real leverage to change that. Um, but again, once you understand that, it becomes a question of you know standing on principle and understanding what the what the actual policy consequences will be, will be, or fooling yourself that you can stand on principle and not have to deal with a policy fallout. Right. No, I, 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 and, and uh, you know, when it touches on, on sort of life and death issues uh, from, from both ends and, and, and certainly uh, from the Israeli end and looking at victims of terror attacks, uh, sometimes it's hard to parse the two and, and to separate them. Uh, but it may spell out uh, far more violent consequences 
um, if the Palestinian Authority goes away or if the security forces or, or just some element of the security forces um, of the Palestinian Authority go rogue, um, as they did in the Second Intifada, um, with disastrous results. Um, so, you know, it, it's, 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 it's overcoming a huge, a huge hurdle. And, and it is, like you said, a, a big part of, uh, you know, a big, a big, uh, overarching specter in Palestinian society. I'm sure you saw in the West Bank, one of the things that, that really stood out to me, um, when I, when I was there was the posters in, uh, Ramallah, uh, just everywhere, people who, you know, uh, of, um, the martyrs. Um, it was sort of ubiquitous. So it, it, it is something that's, uh, that's very big and, and, and sort of ever present for them. And, uh, and, and, and with the perception that you mentioned that, that, uh, you don't want to be seen as selling out the prisoners. Uh, there, there's already a lot of things that the Palestinian Authority has to overcome in terms of being seen as collaborators with Israel, chief among them security cooperation, which we mentioned as being put at risk. So, um, you know, I, like you said, and, I, and I, I think we're we're kind of all circling back to the same place, but it, it really is a question of, is this worth it? Or is, is this the hill that you want to die on? So... I guess uh, you know. I guess the, with that with that sour picture, there's really there's. I, I think at this stage there isn't that much more to say about it. Um, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Kahlon and Netanyahu uh, met on Sunday. Uh, the Europeans tried to mediate this, and and so far uh, with uh, no positive results. The Palestinians rejected their solution, um, and they're rejecting the Israeli payment. So this is just something that we're going to, to have to continue to watch develop, and, and it plays into the issues that we're watching at Israel Policy Forum very closely, uh, with, uh, with uh, certainly with West Bank annexation, because I think we usually look at it from the inverse. That if annexation happens, then the Palestinian Authority will go down. Um, well, now we, maybe uh, we have to flip the paradigm around and say what happens uh, with the annexation movement if the Palestinian Authority goes down first. Um, and the way Israel relates to the West Bank. Uh, as I mentioned before, Michael wrote about this in, in, uh, in his weekly column, so you can find that on our website. Yeah, um, Michael, do you have any closing thoughts, any, anything more positive? <laughs> anything more positive? Um, you know, only, only to say that um, I hope that this gets resolved one way or another. Um, you know, in an ideal world, it would get resolved by the PA actually reforming its system of payments and, you know, this pressure that Israel uh, is bringing to bear on the PA working. Um, but I think that that's unfortunately unlikely. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully it gets resolved in a way that doesn't end up with the security situation in the West Bank being, being worse because, you know, the point of the Knesset legislation and the Taylor Force Act uh, are to combat Palestinian terrorism and, as problematic as the PA is, if it falls and you end up with Hamas in the West Bank, um, as a result of as a result of this, then certainly I, I don't think anybody will be able to point to this as a successful example of combating Palestinian terrorism rather than compounding it. Right, and and the one the one thing I'll say, and, and this is not a reason to be complacent, um, but we sort of have been in this situation before. That there have been times. Um, multiple instances where where the Israeli cabinet and security cabinet have convened 
to talk about the possibility, the immediate possibility of a collapse of the Palestinian Authority. Um, so on the one hand, this doesn't necessarily mean that this is the time. On the other hand, uh, that may sort of cut to the Israeli thinking in this situation that you can drag the Palestinians to the edge of the cliff, hold them over it, and then pull back from the brink. And, um, you know, each time, whether it's this time or the next time or whatever it is, uh, it's just a question of what's going to be a bridge too far. Right. Right. Well, there'll be, there'll be lots, lots to watch in the months ahead. Yep. So uh, with that, uh, thanks for, for joining us on, on this uh, episode of Israel Policy Pod. Um, we'll catch you next episode. And Michael, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Evan.